Good morning, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Thursday, so this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy our show. This story was first published on February 10th of 2013 under the headline, Oregon's First Public Execution Still Cloaked in Dark Mystery. And, spoiler alert, yeah, pretty dark. Here we go. On the afternoon of November 8th, 1858, 48-year-old Danford Balch stood on the deck of the Stark Street Ferry holding a double-barreled shotgun. Both barrels were still smoking. At his feet, in a widening crimson puddle, lay the body of his son-in-law, Mortimer Stump. It was the crime that would lead, early the following year, to the first public execution in Portland's history. And it happened so long ago, it's so shrouded in the mists of time and -and rough-and-ready frontier record-keeping that it's hard to know exactly what happened, or why. Danford Belch had come to Oregon in 1847 on the Oregon Trail with his wife, a pretty young widow with two children, whom he'd married around 1842 when he was about 31 years old. They'd crossed the continent in the usual covered wagon way with their several children, hers and ours, as it were. Upon arrival, they staked a claim that included most of what today is the Northwest Heights neighborhood and much of what's now Forest Park, some of the most valuable real estate in the entire state. At the time, though, it was pretty remote and mostly thickly forested. But as a decade passed and Portland grew from a cluster of shacks into the preeminent city in the state, Balch found himself a pretty important fellow and that may be at least part of the reason he reacted so poorly when the son of a less prominent neighbor asked for his daughter's hand in marriage. The would-be bridegroom was a strapping lad named Mortimer, son of the Stump family from the east side of the Willamette. Young Mortimer had been staying with the Balches as a hired hand, and during this time he and the eldest of the nine Balch children, 15-year-old Anna, had fallen for each other. So Mortimer asked her father for his permission to marry her. Old man Balch, apparently deeply offended by the suggestion, rebuffed Mortimer forcibly and then fired him and ordered him off the property. But a few days later, Anna stole away and met up with Mortimer, and together they secretly eloped across the Columbia to Vancouver to marry. Vancouver, in the Washington Territory, had less strict requirements for notification and waiting times for marriages, so it served eloping couples of frontier Oregon society rather the way Las Vegas does today. Danford Balch did not take the news well. Quote, The night I came home and found the girl gone, it struck a pain to my heart like a knife cutting me, Balch later wrote. I ate a little supper and went to bed but did not sleep a wink all night. In the morning at once after getting up I started for town and it seemed as if my stomach would burst from grief and anxiety, which were more than I can express. Keeping in mind that Balch had eight other children and a wife at home, the question of why he reacted in such an extreme way is the central mystery of this story. His vivid description of emotional desolation introduces a really disturbing note into this story. Historian Diane Gurris Gardner comes right out and says what you are probably already thinking, Lord knows I was. Quote, 
The description he gave of his emotional, physical, and psychological state sounded more like a man describing the loss of a lover than a daughter, she writes in Necktie Parties. Her observation takes on a particularly sinister tint in light of the fact that Anna was probably Danford's stepdaughter, not related to him by blood. The dates are fuzzy, but remember Mary Jane Belch had two children already when Danford married her in 42. Was Anna one of those? It's impossible to say for sure, but she was the oldest child in the Belch home in 1858 when all this happened. Belch also, by all accounts, including his own, had started drinking heavily several years before this incident. So on that fateful November day, Belch apparently was in Portland having a drink or two at a saloon when the newlyweds came to town to buy supplies so that they could set up housekeeping. A confrontation ensued in front of the store kept by Multnomah County Sheriff and former Portland Mayor Addison Starr. Here's what Belch had to say about that encounter. He, the elder stump, that is, Mortimer's father, cursed a great deal and said I was making a great fuss about my child, that she was an ordinary little bitch, and he did not know what, unknown expletive, I wanted of her, Belch wrote. There was more, said, I do not recollect saying another word. After this encounter, Belch apparently ran for home, poured himself another big drink, grabbed his double-barreled shotgun, and hustled back to town with it. He later claimed his plan was to use it to demand the return of his lost property, that meaning Anna. Obviously, he was not thinking very clearly, and witnesses to the incident that followed confirm he was by then quite drunk. The stumps almost escaped from his clutches. They were on James Stevens' mule-powered Stark Street ferry, ready to take off across the river when Belch ran up with his shotgun and dispensed the contents of both barrels directly into his new son-in-law's face. Belch was, of course, taken very roughly into custody on the spot by outraged fellow passengers and lodged in the rickety-rented building that the new city was using as a jail. He escaped and was on the lam for a while, hiding out in the woodsy part of his land, but a few months later was recaptured by City Marshal James Lapius. At his trial, to his evident astonishment, Belch was convicted and sentenced to hang. Several people testified at his trial that they had heard him threaten to kill Mortimer Stump. Apparently he was in the habit of going to Portland saloons, drinking to the point of blackouts, and then making belligerent verbal threats that he didn't remember the next day. His confession, written just before his hanging when it wouldn't do him any good at all to lie, is full of bewilderment at all the Portland residents who testified at his trial to deadly drunken pledges that he didn't remember making. Belch was hanged on October 18, 1859, ten months to the day after his crime. As a side note, there were rumors, and fairly credible ones at that, that Marshal Lapius had offered to let him escape from the city jail for a thousand-dollar bribe, which the widow had been unable to raise. These rumors haunted Lapius for the rest of his law enforcement career. At the hanging, Portlanders were shocked to see a dry-eyed Anna Belch stump there with her in-laws. They were there to watch Danford die. And they did. The reporter from the Portland Oregonian was aghast. Quote, The idea of a daughter by her own volition attending the execution of a father upon the gallows is a disgrace to the intelligence of the age and to every principle of filial affection manifested or exhibited by every species of the brute creation in the sea or upon the earth, he wrote in the following week's paper. This fact is of a character that we cannot pass unnoticed and must meet with the surprise, reprobation, and detestation of the whole community. This surely seemed like a reasonable inference, but then... Maybe the Oregonian reporter just didn't know the whole story. And that's probably all that should be said about that. 
Key sources in this story included works by Doug Kent Crispin, Diane Gurris Gardner, and back issues of the Portland Weekly Oregonian. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 550 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulplet Productions, pulp-lit.com, a boutique publishing house owned and operated by yours truly, specializing in audiobook and multimedia editions of the work of the classic pre-war pulp writers. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license type CC by SA 4.0, which basically means you can do anything with the content you like, so long as you A, give me credit for it, and B, whatever you make is also released under a Creative Commons license. But if you need a waiver to either A or B, hit me up, fj at offbeatoregon.com. I've never said no yet to a request for a waiver of one of those conditions. They're generally there just to prevent me from accidentally authorizing the reuse of something I don't actually control the rights to. A good example might be a photograph used by special permission of the rights holder. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Vaccara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every single weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.